Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passion and intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. How are you? This is the first podcast episode I'm releasing since the COVID-19 pandemic started. I know that everyone has been negatively impacted in their own way, some far more traumatically than others. And I wish I had some really important and healing insight to share about all this. But all I can do is say, whatever you've been through, I'm sorry for all of it. And all I can hope is that this experience will leave each of us stronger and more appreciative of the things that we used to take for granted. Obviously, one of the things we most took for granted before the pandemic was our ability to come together in groups of people. This episode of Women Wanting Women is all about the dynamics of what happens when groups of women come together to connect and heal. But it was recorded a few weeks before any of us had any idea that a global pandemic was coming. And so the one glaring thing missing from this interview about healing in groups is any mention of social distancing or any sense that the ability for people to be physically together in the first place might be something we stood at risk to lose. In this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interview Sabrina Chaw, who since 2001 has been hosting women's circles designed to allow women to heal together in an energetic and emotional way as physical creatures and sensitive beings outside the context of social roles. During the interview, Sabrina shares how she does it and why it works, and how you can use some of these tools in your own communities when it's safe to do so. Thankfully now, as I record this introduction, it looks as though we're hopefully starting to approach the other side of this pandemic, and eventually we'll be able to safely join together again in groups and put into practice all of the wisdom that Sabrina shares in the interview. You can learn more about Sabrina and her work at afemininefeast.com. But before you do, please enjoy this interview with the endlessly lovely Sabrina Chaw. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here, Jordana. Thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. No, I am so happy that you said yes and that you're here with me now. And again, you know, of course, shout out to the incredible Liana Silver for connecting us. Yes, absolutely. I really want to dive in first with the question of working with David Data. Mm -hmm. And I know that you used to run women's circles for David Data. Is that right? Yes, yes. And I have not been specifically to a David Data women's circle, but I, uh, but with another one of his facilitators that used to work with him, Arielle Donay, who I know you worked with as well. I've, I've been in her circle. So I just, I know the kind of amazing craziness that goes on there that probably a lot of listeners can't even fathom. So I would love to hear your perspective, your stories about that. Tell us who David Data is and how you got connected with him and what are some of the kinds of work you did there? Because I'm sure it's, you have extraordinary stories. Yeah, sure. Well, David Data is a, is a remarkable, unique, um, brilliant, fierce individual who somehow through his books was able to speak to me more about my feminine than anything else I've read about and even from other women teachers. So he, he got my attention because he's, he's a guy, right? And so it's like, what does he know? <laughs> was my first thought. And I, I, just ha I was invited just the day before to a talk that he gave in San Francisco, which is where I live. And boy, did he speak to every little morsel of yearning that I had in my heart about how to be met 
as a woman, how I wanted my heart to be met, my 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 light to be recognized. I mean, he he brought words to it, lingo to it that I, I you know, I it was beautiful because I was able to understand what I was really feeling. And so I went home that night thinking, oh, I don't know much about this work. I have his books. I'm going to read them, and I'm just going to call up every woman I know. Well, actually, email every woman I know and ask them, would you want to be in a woman's circle with me about this work? I'm new at it. I don't know how to do it. But are you curious, like I am, to explore what it means to be in your authentic feminine genius? Who are you as a woman? And um, so I opened up my apartment uh, every other Monday, and I didn't know who would show up of all my women friends. And I always had at least one woman show up. And then another woman would show up and then another woman. And pretty soon my small little Oakland apartment could, you know, could only fit maybe like six women in my living room. And then pretty soon there were so many women, there were like 30 to 40 women who would show up. Can't believe how entrepreneurially you handled this. Yes. Yeah. I, I did it, you know, just through personally, you know, I didn't market it. I just reached out to, to women who I knew wanted sort of more of a conscious way of connecting other than, I mean, as women, we were competing a lot for the same partners, for the same jobs, for whatever, for the same mythology that we've been handed down as women. So we weren't seeing each other as these unique, beautiful soul beings that I knew we were. And I wanted to discover who they all were. And I wanted them to give them a chance to discover who I was. And we just, it wasn't who we thought we were, Right. And so I, but, but, but explain more. Cause I really want to hear not just in generalizations, like what kind of things did you do in these circles and what kind of discoveries were you making? Like what was the work and how was it playing out with the people who participated? Well, the discovery we were making was the discovery of who we were. Number one is energetic beings is heart filled beings. So for example, I, I knew all these women, but they didn't know each other. And so we would introduce each other by name. So we wouldn't go through the usual social banter, which is, this is what I do for a living. I'm a mom of two. You know, I live in whatever city. You know, all the usual identifiers that we make up stories like, well, they live here. They're a mother. They're a lawyer. They're a best-selling author, whatever. We make up stories of each other that, oh, she's better than me. She's cooler than me, all these other things. So we would go into it blind, which is kind of scary. Because women, they want to know each other in those those usual identifying tangible ways, right? But I wouldn't allow it. Instead, what we would do is, this is after I started apprenticing with David Data. I didn't know this in the very beginning. It was kind of clumsy. Um, but um, as I learned later on, maybe like a year and a half later, when I started the circles, that we looked into each other's souls, basically, by partnering with each other two women together, and I would lead them through exercises where they would really feel into each other's hearts. What is this with, like, deep eye gazing? Were you doing eye gazing work? Deep eye gazing, yeah. For how long at a time? So for the first time, maybe, it would be a few minutes, and because that's pretty confronting. Yeah, oh, I love that. I lo There's nothing more I love than getting a few women in a room and then I'll be like, now you're going to stare into each other's eyes for five minutes and they don't want to kill me. Yeah. And I'm like, I promise you're not, you're going to love it in the end. It's, just, it's a yeah. lot to ask for women when they first yeah. get there. But absolutely, it's an extraordinary thing because it's its own meditation. As you're sitting there um, holding the other person's gaze, there's so many thoughts that come up of, do I look weird? What is she thinking about me? What am I thinking about myself? And there's you really have to get into the, 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 you have to sort of settle into yourself in order to exactly. be in that intense environment. And it's so healing, I think, to do a deep eye gaze like that with another person. Yeah. Um, it so is. it's extraordinary. So you'd start that way. You do eye gazing. Yeah. And that's without even introducing each other. No one knows each other. You don't right. even say hi. And then you just sit them down. Yeah. Just drop right in. And we, we would do some movement or yoga to help open their bodies, to help open their hearts. I would do some meditation or visualization to help ground them and to create a safe container, a trusting space. And we would connect generally just by looking at each other from across the room and, and nodding our head and smiling. But again, even smiling can be a social you know, obstruction where we 
kind of forcibly do our smile because that you know we want to look nice we want to you know be disarming whatever right I wish I could give this I wish I could just show the smile that you're making with just sort of like an approving yeah. smile it's sort of that head nodding like approval seeking smile that you're giving right, right now um without it's it's without that without like a real soul depth to right. it yeah, yeah, totally. So it's like women sitting across the room, they're going to nod and like approvingly smile at each other because it's sort of what we're socially constructed to do as opposed to really deeply seeing each other. Right. And that, that's why we do a meditation next or visualization so that they can really ground themselves and center themselves in their own hearts and into their bodies, especially the bow of their pelvis, you know, like they're sitting and they can really feel their breath and energy emanating from that place. And deep in their diaphragm and really lift it up into their hearts and into their breath. And it's a very somatic meditation so that it would really center them so and bring them more present into the room with each other. And then um, it's after I sense that they're feeling safer and connected in their own selves. Do I have them, do I pair them up and, and, and do the eye gazing? And in the, even in the eye gazing, I would allow them to say, and, and David Data didn't do this, but I would have them say, I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling vulnerable, I'm feeling um, I don't want to do this or whatever. And the other woman would just hold space for her. It, it allowed a little bit of more um, a bridge to, to, for one woman to the other to say what was really present for her. Uh, the way David Data would do it is we would say, do bingo or fear. Like either if we're connecting deeply, we would say bingo. If we don't feel that, we would say fear because it's one or the other. I like to provide more of a bridge so they can just say what's so, right? And the other woman who's hearing this, oh, this woman's feeling fear. She feels, oh, I can relax because she's feeling probably, I'm feeling the same thing, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then maybe a smile would come from the other woman who's hearing these fears and she would relax a little bit more. So it wouldn't be so confronting as what David did, but whatever. But both was very um, uh, effective in helping women connect with each other. And then, and then often we would just have conversations about what they would see in each other. This is a total stranger that she's only met for like five minutes. And once she sees the soul of another woman, she can tell her about, this woman can tell this other woman about herself that she sees that maybe this woman who's receiving this feedback never, ever has heard in her lifetime. And that's because it's not, it's not filtered by history, experiences, you know, whatever. This woman, pure energy, pure heart, is relating to another woman and reflecting to her what she sees. And what kinds of things come out? Because not, you're not saying, I see that you have brown hair. Um, you're not saying I see that you're, what kind of things are you, are you talking about superficial things or what are we saying? Are we talking about our projection? I imagine that you're kind or, or what are the sorts of things that you have them say to each other? It's pretty specific dialogue. Like I really appreciate, and she would just start with that. So she would look, feel the soul of this other woman before, and she would feel what she really appreciates about her as a woman. So she would say, I really appreciate and she would say something like, I'm, I'm looking at you right now. I know our, the audience can't see me looking at you, but I look at you and I say, I really appreciate the fierce way that you give love and that you open my heart with your smile. I really appreciate the devotion you have to the empowerment of women by your, your own wisdom, the, the history that you've lived and how you are a fierce, fierce learner of sharing what you've known and loved and learned and, and share that with others. Thank you. That, that's beautiful to receive. Yeah. Well, it's really true. I can really feel that in you. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm really touched by that. And I'm curious what we can say if we have never met the person, what sorts of things can we, you know, in, in an eye gazing with a perfect stranger, is it that we're just appreciating their physicality or... Well, they could, but I, I guide them to go deeper than that. So really feeling what really matters to this woman, what she's lived, what she longs for. So another woman might say, I really appreciate how you love animals. She can sense that. She can sense that. Oh, without even knowing. It's just I, Without even knowing. Oh, oh that's yeah. That's so funny. That's so interesting. 
and it's it's been true almost all the time and 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 because women are really intuiting they're using the, the gift of their intuition with each other that's an interesting practice i haven't tried that but the times that I've done it, and it's almost always been in situations where I'm sitting down with a complete stranger, and it's going to be like a five-minute eye gaze because it's in one of these sorts of exercises. And so usually what I'm there and I'm witnessing in them is just this total vulnerability because I know that's what I'm bringing. And just sort of um, just just the beingness of a human and then the beingness of another person. And I just appreciate it so much that they're just this being. And there, and I almost, there's, it's almost empty of anything else. Cause we're just, there is not, you know, like you have to quiet the mind in order to even hold that kind of a gaze for that long. And so I find that it's just this pure, this appreciation for just the fact that there are this being, you know, with a heart and a sensitivity and you can't really stare at someone in their eyes for that long and not really love something about them like really and, and love them and I mean in just a very you know just really be honoring each other and feel that they're honoring you and you're honoring because that is an honoring right if you're holding someone's gaze mm -hmm. for that long it's deeply yes. honoring them and then you feel honored by them and there's a certain amount of love and respect that, that comes from that I think automatic yes beautifully said yeah and that's what Patricia Alberry who wrote about the evolutionary collector talks about the we space you know we where it's it's what you're describing, Jordana, is like the vulnerability, the tenderness, the, the heartfelt space, which is exactly what we feel in this eye gazing. And then sometimes when we go into that, we can intuit more about the specifics about that person, which is where the statement like, I, I appreciate your love for animals. I appreciate the way that nature opens up before you and how you write about it. You know, it, it just comes. It's It's pretty amazing <laughs> you know and yes this woman was a writer and she wrote about nature i mean so it's like it, it's 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 pretty remarkable when you come into this we space with each other like you just beautifully described how you can really feel the soul of another and they like wow so you they recognize i don't even need to have a conversation <laughs> with this person we're just really tapping into the core places of beauty not wounding core beauty of each other through this simple little exercise. They do become so beautiful when you stare into someone's eyes like that because it's just so, and it's so calming and so grounding. I can't ever do, because it is, it's very meditative. You really can't be in your own head or you're going to probably, I don't know, like you'd have to go crazy. You either have to completely still your energy and just be still and calm and, and serene or not, or the opposite, you know. Right. Um, so... I think people do look quite beautiful from that place. I don't remember ever doing an eye gaze and seeing anything other than beauty. Yes. And it's such a, a healing, beautiful practice. So what other kinds of exercises do you do with these women in the women's circles? Well, we do a lot of movement as well. So I might put on some um, music that doesn't have any words, but just evokes a certain rhythm in their bodies and whatever emotions they're feeling to just move through it. So they can use their voice, they can use their bodies, they can undulate, they can do whatever. First, they're on their own little bubble as they're moving to the music and just letting themselves become present with their own emotions, right? So their own little bubble, maybe their eyes are closed, they're all in their own subjectivity of their experience. And then maybe a couple minutes into the, into the music, if I sense that they're willing to open their eyes and connect with another woman, then I would have them do that. So like open your eyes and connect with another woman. Now that's an entirely different experience. And it's like now we're exposed. Now we're being revealed in our own emotions as we're moving, right? So like what is what is occurring for us now, right? Is there vulnerability? Is there like, you know, wanting to retreat? What What is happening? And it just allowing ourselves to become real and present with, with that. And then giving to each other some sort of, and once we become present with what our own experiences with this other woman, we, I would have one woman move to what she's experienced with this other woman. So without words, again, not saying, oh, I'm feeling fear or excitement or whatever, she would actually move to that. And then the other woman would witness that. And then once that's done, it's, it's time to switch. And the other woman who received that, now she could move and her body to the music, to whatever she's experiencing. And again, it's all about the feeling of our bodies and our energies and the heart connection. So we don't turn our eyes away from each other. We always look into the eyes of another while we're moving. 
What I love about what you just said, what's so interesting to me, is because it's almost like an interpretive dance of what we're doing anyway. We just do it with words. I'll say something to you and then you'll say something to me. And without realizing it, things that you're saying are triggering memories. Maybe they're triggering emotions. I'm having all sorts of reactions to your energy and to your words and it's causing all kinds of things. But I stay stoic on the outside. I'm just speaking words back to you. Then you're going to speak words. And then what I say back to you is going to trigger all kinds of things in you. So we always are doing what you're describing. We just do it 100% in our mental verbal space. And this is where you basically shut down the mental verbal. And one woman sort of brings her energy forward and then the other woman shows how her body reacts to that energy and then that woman mirrors back how her body reacts. It's like, it's it's sort of just taking the thing that happens anyway. This is what's happening anyway, right? I'm speaking and then you're speaking. So we're having, we're always influencing each other with our energy anyway. And what's so interesting about your exercise is it's taking that thing that's usually just happening in our heads that we can't see. And instead of having it in our heads where we can't see it, you are instructing these women in this exercise to bring that dynamic into our bodies and our emotions where it's just played out, where we could actually see what happens. And we can learn so much about ourselves and about other people by witnessing something like that. Yeah. And it's great, especially when the women come together after they've expressed what they're feeling with each other is now they're doing it together. So at the same time, and they become a dance of movement of like, one woman's undulating while the other woman is curving around her and they become in, they, they come into a relationship that is in the moment, so present, very deep, very energetic and, and really authentic to what they're experiencing in the moment. And at the end of the music, at the end of the dance, they stop and they look at each other again with the eye gaze and now they can experience the difference from what they felt before they started moving, you know, letting the energy somatically come through their bodies. And now that they've allowed themselves to do that, they, it's like they see a new person. It, it's, it's not about themselves anymore. They're now, it's like a, there is a oneness. There's like no barriers anymore. And it's just amazing when we allow ourselves to do that, what can occur and the relationship that can occur as a result of that. Right. Not only can they become friends because they just shared this beautiful thing. But if we're talking about having done this with a complete stranger, then what that translates to, it it means that every other complete stranger outside of this room is also another human that we could have shared that exact same thing with. It's not like, oh, I just, we're not talking about things that you just, you suggest we do with our best friend. We're literally describing exercises that you have these two complete strangers do with each other. Exactly. And it, and it leads, leads to so much depth and, and connection and understanding. And it just shows if that's capable between these two strangers, what, what does it really mean about us and every other stranger out there? Absolutely. And that's the cure for isolation. That is a cure for when we don't think it's, if we feel isolated because we think we need to connect with people in a certain way, in a certain proximity, um, they need to support us this way, we need to support them in a certain way. We, we, we develop these structures, these perceptions in our minds as how we should be when it's very in the moment. And it, it, when it's in the moment like that, we can cultivate deeper relationships. And it, it comes with a, uh, off a, of a start that's more authentic, more genuine to who we are. And that's why these types of relationships that are based on that type of uh, beginnings are much deeper, much less about the self and what we, what we can give each other. Oh, you're, you're a lawyer, so you can do this. And I'm you know, a caterer, I can do this. It's none of that stuff. It's really energetic. It's emotional, it's psychological, it's spiritual. There is mental, of course, but that, that's not the front runner. So interesting. Are there any other exercises you can share that you do in those circles? Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of movement, and, and there's a lot of... Um, one of the things that I love to do is, is with women to really come together and, like, say we have eight women in a circle or 12 women, is to create a piece of art together. And so each one of them is like a, a, a paintbrush on a canvas. And each one of them has a unique gift that they give each other. So one of the things I love to do is have each woman go around the circle and reflect the gifts of each woman. You know, it's similar to the eye gazing. This is after they've gotten to know each other a bit more, let's say like, you know, a third into the circle, halfway into the circle, that they really reflect the gifts that they love about this woman that maybe this woman has never even felt about themselves. And so 
each woman enacts the energies, those qualities of what has been reflected to her somatically again, and she moves and each woman gets reflected those gifts and each woman starts to move and pretty soon the entire room is moving. Are they in words or you're, you're showing, are you saying to like, would I do a sort of an interpretive movement about what I appreciate about you or am I saying the words and then you're doing a movement in response exactly. to the words? So I say words and I express to you how much I, I, I express to you things that I appreciate about you. And then as you're receiving the appreciation, you let it sort of penetrate your body and move in response to that. Exactly. And then, and then what happens? And then the and then and then the and then the giver of the compliment also moves in response to their to the so other movement. So then she completes, you know, after the woman receives and she's allowed to move to what it is that she's receiving. And then the next woman goes on, another woman describes to another woman what she sees in that woman, right? And then that woman gets to move and after each woman gets reflected uh, what she is, the qualities, the beauty, the gifts that she is to another woman, then I have them all get up and I have them all combine their movement together like in this collective dance and they get to see each other. They get to witness, they get to feel, they get to imbibe, drink in, bathe in the movement and the gifts of each other energetically. And so it's like through their breath, through their eyes, through their touch, because sometimes they touch each other. I mean, it's, it's like, they become each other's muse in this piece of artwork, in this in this music. Each one is an individual note that they, they they conduct together, they orchestrate together in this beautiful piece that is unique forever. Well, no longer it will not. That's in that moment. That's when it is created, and then it is gone. Right. So they they really saturate themselves in the gift that they created collectively together in their in their collective dance, and it's just like. Wow, it's powerful. It's like Amazonian, you know, like these women when they stand up in the room and they're just writhing and they're doing it. Sometimes they're in stillness. Like one woman, she was reflected as a medicine woman, like on top of a mountaintop, and she would just like stand. She's not even moving. She's just like firmly, firm feet planted into the ground, shoulders back, eyes really strong, just like unfettered breath just like mm, right yeah this one was like this one was like four eleven, right yeah she was really fierce yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but, totally and the other women were around her just you know moving around her and going under her legs and on her sides like snakes you know it was just like wow it was like like an ayahuasca <laughs> shamanic journey just you know what i'm what's really striking me is just the permission in these circles, the permission to engage and the permission to feel. And just imagine being in, you know, your typical office and one woman says something nice to another. And what if she just like started moving and receiving, like you get a compliment and you just move and feel it. And like, if we were, if we just had permission to be that free and if women let each other be that free, you know, I was, um, I re actually on my podcast, I had Rachel Simmons on, who is a, an expert on the aggression between females. She wrote a book called Odd Girl Out. And I also had Rosalind Weissman on, who wrote this book called Queen Bees and Wannabes. So these experts on, on how girls are mean to each other when they're little, basically. Mm. And one of the things that Rachel Simmons says is that, or, or I have actually, I'm not even, I don't even remember which book it is because they're, they both really touch on so many similar topics. And so now I'm forgetting which person specifically said this, but one of the biggest insults a little girl can give another little girl is, oh, she thinks she's all that. Mm. So it's this, the, the, it almost just the, the, the biggest criminal act you could do as a little girl and you can, what you can get made fun of for the most is standing in your own power, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to imagine the opposite of that. It seems to, what you're describing in this dance seems to be the opposite of that. It's, it's permission to just not only, it's, it's other, it's women complimenting each other and then in receiving those compliments, just feeling it all over and moving and then letting the woman who gave that compliment then, and then seeing how the gift was received just receive the joy of her having given the gift in the first place. And it's just this magnificent work of art. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now the flip side also occurs in the circle too, where after the women get to know each other, they give, you know, fierce love feedback to each other, like where women might see them uh, obstacles in, in their unfolding, right? Where they're blocking themselves. And so that takes a really safe, trusting container. And so it takes a while to, to build that. Um, so we don't do that right away, but it's really so like 
another woman would give feedback to another woman while she's holding her, heart connected, eye gazing. It's not, it's not like saying what's wrong with her. It has to be done in a very delicate, tender, compassionate way. It's like, I really sense that your, your uh, wisdom would come out more if you would just open your breath more and connect with me through your eyes. And, and also any other feedback she may give, like, um, it's important not to say you're doing this wrong. It's important to say it as an acknowledgement of her gifts rather than what she's doing wrong. So I would, re I really, I really sense that you would open more by, by acknowledging what her gifts are more than saying what's wrong. I mean, so some women can be fierce critics and, and they say, oh, that's fierce love, right? We know somebody who does that. It's like fierce love, fierce love, fierce love. I'm doing in the service of you when it's really not in the service of another person. It's really ego, right? And toxicity instead of heart connected soul feedback. So it's really, so that type of feedback could be given, right? And so that woman just receives it and she listens to the tenderness in her heart, the truth of that. If it's true, if it does, it's not true to her, then it's not true. And it's okay. Nobody's ever right or wrong. This is all, you know, fodder for awakening, right? So um, when we're in a circle of, of, of women that we can trust, that we don't have this history or baggage with, it's, it's just amazing how we're open to others' feedback. And then we give them practices that they can take on to empower them so that they, they're more confident, they're more fierce in their love, or they're more discerning in their wisdom or in their life choices and their partner choices and, and so forth. So um, we take these practices so they can really apply them to their real lives. And, um, and that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Absolutely. When you take it home. And I think what you're talking about here, this ability to give advice that can help others grow. I don't think we're as much as it is hard because we want to always say nice things and we don't want to be confrontational and we don't want to make anybody feel bad. All of those things are true. But of course, we don't do anybody any favors if we aren't showing them an opportunity to, to stand in even more greatness. Right. It's sort of like um, if someone's standing there with their fly unzipped and you feel bad to tell them, but you're not doing them any, any favors by, even if it might be weird to tell them that, it's better that they know right now that their fly is unzipped than letting it stay down. Right. As long as we're doing it in service of them and for, for the greater... In right. You don't want to be like, ha ha, your fly is unzipped, right, and then like, right. make a big deal out of it and make everyone laugh, because that's when it's cruelty and making them wrong and ashamed for having been in that way. But if, if in a loving way you say, hey, just you know, here's, you know, here's a way that you can make your situation better right now. Um, and it does take bravery because if we want to be liked, if we have people pleasing inside of us, it's, it's scary sometimes to, to be real with people. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why it's really good too, to do the practice of like, suppose there's a woman who is a people pleaser. One of the practices we might give her in the circle is to do, be the opposite. Take on the fierce love, collie energy that just wants to bite your head off. You know, it's like pussy full open, like chomping down on untruths and insincerity you know it's like ah right just calling out everyone's authenticity calling out everyone with their affects and and calling out everyone when they're not being their best right but, but yeah. almost in a mean way yeah yeah let her try it on i can see why why a people pleaser could um be empowered by having a little bit of that a little taste of that yeah and being loved in the midst of it you know because a lot of times they don't do that because they have this myth that they're not going to be loved. And so how does she, how do we change that, that story by changing the evidence, right? So she is loved. She, in fact, she is, and, and it's not about getting more love really, but it's about her feeling as love, being love in, in the midst of that new shape of that she's taking on, such as like mm, bitch or animal or collie or whatever it is. Can she feel love immersing from her, emanating from her in that new energy, right? So it's not about getting love, it's, or it's not about not getting love. It's about being love, feeling it in her body, no matter what shape, no matter what emotions or characteristics she puts on, she is love. Right. We have many keys in our piano, and everyone are vibrating in love, whatever it might be that's coming out in this moment. Yeah. 
And like including the black keys, the white keys, and all the minors and the flats and all that stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, it's right. good stuff. The, the, the only one last thing I want to say about these women's circles is that the exercises themselves might sound weird to hear described when you're not in the room. And they almost might seem like, well, why would you need to do something like that? But it's so extraordinary, really, to because until we've really been in a circle like that, I, I don't think we realize how much healing there really that we really do need and how much doing these, engaging in these rituals with other women can really be so healing and meaningful. Um, I would never have guessed before having participated in, in these things that I would get as much out of it as I did. Mm -hmm. um, right. And it's really cool. Right. It's really cool stuff. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to uh, share about the circles and the different ways that they can be held because a lot of women, when they think of women's circles, they think of support groups, you know, and, and or just kind of lamenting about our lives. And this is feeling what's in our lives and definitely bringing it into the circle, but not being caught up in the story of it or a disempowerment of it, but really recognizing what is in us that can lift us through it and not only transform ourselves, but transform others as well. And the other thing I want to say is even if women can be doing these same exercises at home, listen to this, and it is beautiful to do these exercises. It's important to move with the body and move energy and all of those things at home. But, but the really importance of bringing a group of women together and doing that work in the presence of other women and in the permission, with the permission and to be seen and to just be allowed to move and engage and, 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 and express ourselves in those ways in the presence of other women with them approving and honoring us as we do it, I think is very healing as well. Yes, thank you for making that point, Jordana, because I think that's really important to be, to be held, to feel the spaciousness of going through a process like that, to feel love through it, and to, and to also support other women in doing it. I mean, not only are you empowering yourself, but you're empowering them, and we, we uplift each other as, collectively as a result. So yeah, doing it in a women's circle is, is the optimal way to do it. But if you don't, you know, there are practices that, that you can do in your own private time though, and, and, and space, though it's really powerful if you do it in, in a woman's circle. That's true. Because I think there is a, an approval seeker in all of us and, um, and wanting just to, to kind of to have what we do be right in the eyes of the other women. Yeah, and also other women unlock the key. So perhaps we're not seeing something. So physically, sometimes a woman is in her process but like what we were doing before, she's concave, she's, you know, like in a fetal position and maybe another woman would come to her and maybe, you know, just open her shoulders more, place her hand on, on her heart and her womb and maybe like waves of sobbing would come out because she's just tapped into a deeper layer that she may not have done alone. Right. When you're with someone else, they can touch and they can hold and they can. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it's just really transformative and it's really beautiful and it's great that you got to do that and with such a great master like David Data, um, and I'm sure and I'm sure he was really lucky to have you. And so were the women in your community so lucky that you saw that that you saw him speak, that you had had those books, and that you had the audacity and the entrepreneurial spirit to start creating this in your own life and bringing women together and really giving them this. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had a tremendous impact. Thank you so much for sharing about these things. Sure thing. The only last thing I want to ask you about, I heard, you know, you were talking about the raven and the nightingale. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I love crows. Mm -hmm. And I feel like everywhere I go, I see crows and I just love them. And I mm -hmm. have a special relationship with the bird that is the crow. So mm -hmm. um, talk about what that, what, what, what you're, what you use those metaphors for and what they mean. And, um, Sure. I, I teach an online course called Taking Flight in Your Third Act. It's produced by the Shift Network. And it's for women over 50. And it's for bringing them through the various gateways in their lives to really bring purpose and meaning and the manifestation of, of their desires in their lives. And, and it's not a matter of so much you know, taking an, a, another course, but really harvesting what is already been cultivated in them in their unique lives all these years. And so there are two thresholds. The, the, the first threshold is called the Raven's Gateway. 
And I use, and, it, and it's once every woman passes through a threshold, she goes to the next threshold until she goes through, of course, the Phoenix threshold, which is that of transformation, right? So the Raven's Gateway is the first gateway where the woman goes through the shadow of her life, the, the toxic beliefs, the toxic agreements she might have with other people about, if I'm this way, then you will love me. These are implied agreements that we take on with other people in order to get approval or love or be in relationship. So we identify what those things are. And we talk about the raven because the raven is just as, in fact, I just saw two of them fly by in front of my window right now. So Perfect timing. Perfect timing. And I speak about the raven because the raven is this gorgeous, beautiful creature that is just as comfortable in flying through the dark as it is flying through the daytime. It can navigate through both just equally. Like if you were imagine us in the dark, I mean, some of us anyway, we don't navigate as well. Our eyesight isn't as good. Maybe we don't feel as safe. Uh, even if we go fast during the day, we may not go as fast during the night. The ravens is, is quite the opposite. They will just fly through like, like there are no obstacles, but with real discernment and knowingness and wisdom. They're the only bird avian archetype that goes through that, that is as adept as with one as the other. I mean, just fearless, just absolute fearless. And so the Raven's Gateway is all about discovering those beliefs, the shadow part of us, that how do we, how would we navigate through them with, with discernment and, 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 and confidence and actually enjoy them because they're so revelating and awakening in their own in their own ways. So I bring the women through a series of practices where they uncover what these, the mythology is of their lives, the shadow part of their lives that kind of hijack them into making the life choices that they make, maybe some of the unhealthy choices that they make in their lives, uncover them and transform them through their bodies, not just psychologically, but it's really important that they do it energetically through their bodies and also through their hearts. So we need to change the story. We need to change the way that the, the mythology is held in our bodies. And that's what the Raven's Gateway does. It goes through the shadow part. It comes out through the daylight, through the light. And sometimes it needs to go back in the shadow because it needs to go deeper after it's excavated some stuff and then comes back into the day and applies it into the, our own lives and then goes back into the shadow again. So it's as adept at both the light and the shadow. And that's, it's, that's why I chose the raven, because of its natural gift to do that. I love that metaphor. I absolutely love, I absolutely love it. I'm so lit up by that. I love it. <laughs> so that, that is what the raven is about. And so the next threshold is that of the nightingale. So the nightingale is all about longing. You know how the nightingale, the nightingale sings 70% of the time. And the nightingale is singing not just, you know, to for a mating call. Or, I mean, there are functional uh, reasons why the nightingale sings. But the nightingale's most of the time just singing for singing purposes. It is just a beautiful creature that just her, her purpose in life is, is, is the lilting notes that she shares with the world. That is her gift. To do that, she has to feel what is arising in her own in her own soul, in her own heart, in her own throat, and that is what emanates her sound. So each nightingale has her own unique sound, right? Each nightingale has her own unique way that she expresses her voice. So in the nightingale gateway, it's about discovering our deepest core longing. And so now that we've accessed the shadow and transformed that through the raven's gateway, how do we identify and access and actually feel very deeply what our greatest longings are so that we can use that as a compass to guide us in our lives. So, cause oftentimes when we go about our lives, we create goals. It's like, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have this house. I'm going to live here in San Francisco, blah, 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 blah. But these are just strategies. These are sort of like linear goals to get us what we think we want in our lives. Right. And that's not what you mean by longing. Like I have a best friend, we're, we're turning 40 this year, and she still doesn't have children and, 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 and I would say longs for them. But there's also a lot of um, fear and desperation and pain in that. I think you're pointing to a longing that 
is almost more spiritual and a longing to bring out our best gifts, which is, right. seems to me there's a little different flavor in that. Can you speak to that? Yes. It's, it's a longing, as you say, to bring, us our, bring out our best gifts and a longing to feel whatever it is that we long to feel. And usually that is love, right? That is either giving love, like your friend, you know, who, who longs for children. If she were able to tap into, it's not just children. This is a form of what she thinks that longing is going to be met. It could be another form. If she, long, if she can feel her longing, the, the, the layers underneath that, the, the desire to have kids, and feel, wow, what do children give me? What do I think children will give me? Well, it's this feeling of giving love unconditionally that a mother would maybe want to give or it's the feeling of receiving love unconditionally um, the way that a mother she, she thinks a mother would receive if she can tap into the original source point in her heart of what that longing is the possibility of how she can manifest that is in a multitude of ways right like I'm not a mother. I, I thought I was going to be a mother. And after menopause, I really grieved that I wasn't a mother. All my brothers and sisters had kids. My father and mother, you know, just really ingrained it in me that I'm going to have kids to take care of me as a Chinese, you know, Im and my father was an immigrant. And that's how you survive, right? And so afterwards, I, I really grieved not having children. And I really had to identify Wow, what, what is underneath that? What do I really long for? Not need. Need and longing are very different. Need comes from a place of emptiness where we think, ah, oh, I'm filling this void and I, I got to, you know, figure out what I need to. It's like, oh, I need this. And so I need to get this in place in order to, to, to fix that need, in order to not feel that need. Longing is the feeling underneath that need. What is it that I'm really, really yearning for in my deepest heart? So for me, I, okay, obviously post-menopause, I couldn't have children, but this is how I found out my new life purpose, which is being a life coach for women over 50. A lot of them had the same dream that I had of being a mother. How do we feel underneath those deepest longings so that we can create a life where we can share our gifts? Like for me, it was birthing something else. It was birthing women's circles. And, and my maternal instincts were, were, were uh, exercised that way. Or it was actually, in a practical sense, uh, puppies. I it was a volunteer, to, after our dog died, I was a volunteer for Muttville, which is a senior uh, dog adoption agency. Uh, it wasn't so much puppies, but they were little, little dogs. A lot of them were little dogs. And my longing was expressed that way. I, I was able to give love and I was able to receive love. So they're just... A multitude of ways and I really recognize how my my deepest longing in that if I did have children this is for me if I did have children I wouldn't have been able to do some of the other things that I was able to do right so I so I saw the so but I didn't know that until I was able to really tap into my deeper longing and identify it and feel it can I can I make a comment about what you were talking about too about when when women who deeply, deeply wanted children find out they can't, or when anything that we want in life we can't have, I think that there, in order to get to the other side of that pain, there needs to be deep surrender and deep letting go. And I think a, um, a certain amount of, for me, when I experience disappointment and when I realize that maybe there are certain things that I might have wanted in this lifetime that won't happen, whatever they may be, career success or things that I thought, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. Right. There's a part of me that has to go through an exercise of, I would call, what I would describe as taking myself less seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, just understanding that maybe what happens to me in this lifetime isn't that big of, of a deal, you know, sort of... Um, letting go a little bit of my separateness, tapping in a little bit more to the oneness. And, um, and you're just, you know, there's, there's surrender that can take place in that. I think for me anyway, when yes. I've been disappointed, there's a lot of, of surrender there. Yeah. Beautifully said. It's a matter of not giving up what we want, but not giving up what we want in the deeper sense, not in the form of how we think we're going to get it. You know, for example, having kids is the form of getting our needs met when really what we want on a deeper level in our yearning is really having the opportunity to receive and give this 
this love. And to right? not be isolated, as you pointed right. out earlier when we were talking about, you know, earlier in this conversation, is this deep fear of isolation. And, and for you, birthing, you like tapping into this deeper longing of connection and this meaningful work that you do can bring you so much love and connection that you would have missed out on had you engaged in motherhood instead. Right, exactly. And, and, and the empowerment of other women. Um, for however they're going to take what they've learned in the circles and, and in their families and their communities and so forth. So it's, it's you know, this, this beautiful uh, cascading effect. Um, who knows where it'll go, right? Uh, but, and it's also important to feel the tender parts of us that is feeling the loss. Like, you know, post-menopause, I felt that loss. And to allow myself to feel, and that's when I would use the Raven's Gateway, the processes that I taught there, to really allow, again, not the energy of grief and sadness and regret to close me, but how does it open me in a way that so it can serve me? And so it's allowing ourselves, like the raven, to go into the shadow and feel all that because, of course, you know, it's, it's real. It is real. And the, and the healing comes from feeling the pain fully mm-hmm. and just absolutely letting it penetrate you, open you, and then in that opening comes something just as beautiful in its own yes. way. Just as beautiful, and we listen differently when we're opened that way, that perhaps there is a message that we're getting either from an ancestor or from, you know, whatever you would call it, God, God is the divine, you know, uh, whatever words we associate with a higher intelligence. Um, we listen with more discerning and, and wise ears and heart and perhaps the message we get is not kids, it's something else. And that listening, you're referring to a time of deep pain? Is that like a time of deep opening? Because I have, I think that's true. I think that when we're deeply, you know, cracked open, there is a part of us that's more in touch with the universal spirit of everything. Exactly. Yeah, Marianne Williamson used to say, um, in the Course of Miracles, you know, I refer to her a lot because I've interviewed her in the Telesummit, and I, she's one of my favorite authors. She would say, when we, crack, when we are cracked open like that, that's when God is saying, ah, now we can start. And so I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. She makes a really good point, and so do you. Mm-hmm. So that's the nightingale. It's that longing underneath the need. Right, right. And to really distill it from the need, like, again, you know, if I hear a woman say, I long for a husband, I long for a partner, I long for children, I long for a six-figure career or something like that, I know that's really not her longing. Uh, I, I know that that's just her strategy in getting that longing met. It's really sometimes going into the pain of that unrequited longing. Um, and it is unrequited a lot of the times and allowing ourselves to have it and feel it. And not going to the story that, oh, I'm not meeting it, it'll never be mad, I'm lost without it, but just opening up our, our heart and energies and bodies to it so that a different message can be received other than our own story, oh my God, my longing is not being met. So um, <clears throat> the nightingale then sings from that point. She is able to just authentically, just beautifully, organically express her song um, because she's not strategically saying I'm going to you know sing this song to get something or get somewhere she's just singing it and so yeah that's what the nightingale is all about and but she's a mighty strong creature too she's she's very adept too at flight she can escape the the the, the, the uh, a predator uh, with great prowess and because she's so devoted to her song She's so devoted to her expression. And, and so she can hide out and go in between these two branches and nobody can get through. I mean, she's like, she's brilliant. She's brilliant because she's so connected to her longing and to her song. So she's a powerful being, little but very, very powerful. I love her. So, so what's next after the nightingale? It's the falcons. And the falcon gateways where we is about um, harnessing our allies with our, what I call our internal allies, which is our bodies, energy, and the divine, whatever the divine means to you. So that is really feeling into our body's temple and the strength of it and, and, and utilizing it, like in the practices that we've been doing are all somatically based, is really taking it up another notch and really utilizing the power of our bodies and the energy that pulsates through it 
in order to be allies in our lives. So oftentimes we close ourselves off from energy because it's so powerful, right? But this is really how do we open to it? How do we discover it and not control it, but have a relationship with it where it empowers us rather than makes us hide from it. And why is the falcon about gathering our allies? Because the falcon is a protector. The falcon is a protector uh, avian archetype. So it's all about, um, and, and it is a, one of those, again, very adept predators, but it, it, it's, it's eyesight. I forget what the range is for, for falcons, but it is, it's, it's like an eagle. It can see like miles away. It's, it's pretty amazing, even the tiniest little thing. So it's able to see the landscape around them and see what is needed. She's able to uh, navigate her flight, the speed, the distance, and everything just so precisely because she knows what she needs. And so the falcon is a great protectress. And so when we harness our allies, right, such as the divine, our energy, and our bodies, and we combine it with what I call our external allies, which is when we tap into our ancestry, all the women that have lived before us in our lives, our lineage, and have a relationship with them. And in this particular gateway, I don't have you go through all of them, but I have you identify one particular ally that is comes through your heart. And there's a particular exercise that I do to, to have you identify that. Once you identify who that ancestor is, you have a conversation with her. You start to relate to her. You, you start to and allow yourself to feel her in your own heart to be part of your discerning ally in the life choices that you make, okay? And so we also have a relationship in, in the falcon, the external ally of the masculine. What are the masculine structures around us that we can utilize not to fight against? Because oftentimes we rebel against masculine structures. Right now we're in a masculine structure that is so oppressive, um, especially in this country, the United States, that you know, I automatically want to resist. But there are masculine structures out there. Um, about just, just structures alone is, is masculine. How do we utilize that? Like nature, the trees in front of us, the buildings around us, the ground underneath us. Um, agreements are masculine structures, right? The agreements we make with other people, um, agreements that serve us are, are, are masculine structures. How do we identify those masculine structures that serve us? so that we can basically run wild with what we need to do in our lives. We set up the structure, and then we do what we need to do in order to get it done, right? To, in order to get our, our desires met. Because, the, because this is all about moving towards what the nightingale brought out, which is the longing that now we know we're moving towards. And so the falcon is about, is like kind of diving in and gathering the resources that we need to execute on that. Right, exactly, exactly. And then the uh, owl gateway is about wisdom, of course, and harvesting our 40 years, 50 years, 60 years of life, everything, um, shadow and, and, and happiness, celebration and darkness, everything that we've learned to, to bring it together into who, what is our, our avatar, basically? What is the archetype that we're creating in our own lives, right? You know, avatar, right? What is this? This, this creature, this symbol that we're creating that is that represents us, that is our unique gifts. And, and this is where we discover our unique gifts in the Owl Gateway, and we harvest everything that we've experienced in our lives to really recognize that and to build confidence in that. Who are we in our avatar, in our energy, in our beingness, in our, in our, our, our physicality, in our emotionality, in our spiritualness, in our expression? You know, all that. What is that avatar? And that's what the Owl Gateway is for, is for crafting that so that you know, wow, this is who, who I am, is Jordana. You know, it's not to say that it's not going to change, but you start from there, right? And then the Phoenix Gateway is we take all the previous gateways and we, we put them all together, sort of like a, a collage of our lives, and we, we create a life map with um, where we do have goals, where we do set intentions, and that we do gather support in order to create basically the life that we want to craft for ourselves. And so the phoenix is about transformation. And so this is sort of the, the phoenix, what's beautiful about the phoenix, the phoenix does not rest. Do you know that? The phoenix does not like land on a mountaintop and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to rest. You know, <laughs> The phoenix goes. It is in continual flight all the time. And so it is always alive. It is always 
you know, just vibrant with radiating power. And it's transforming as it goes through life in each flight path it takes. And so the Phoenix is all about empowerment and, and not about doubt and fears because they've already transformed that in the Raven's Gateway. They've already touched upon their longing and, and their deepest, deepest desire in the Nightingale. They've, they've harnessed their allies in the Falcon Gateway. They harvested their wisdom in the Owl Gateway and created their avatar. And now the Phoenix is about total transformation and total just living life full on in flight because she just feels so confident, so alive, so on purpose and un un unstoppable. So um, that's what the Phoenix is about. I love these creatures that you've curated and the meaning that you've tied together and how this, you know, all ties into women in our, what do you call it? The third, uh, third act in yeah. the third act of our life. It's so beautiful. And what I also love, cause a lot of times it's a lot of times in personal development work, we, we hear talk of the masculine and the feminine archetypes, but there are, there are countless archetypes, including animal archetypes. And uh, just as we can incorporate aspects of the feminine or the masculine, we could also incorporate the, the falcon or the owl, the wisdom of the owl, or the daring, the daring of the raven going into the shadows just as, as much as the light. And we can call upon these energies, which is, uh, I, I believe that that comes out of Native American practice too, right? The spirit animals mm -hmm. and yes. calling upon and, or just understanding these creatures that are all around us. And then using their magic or just meditating on their magic and seeing how we can incorporate it in ourselves. And it's such a beautiful, pra I love, I love, I love learning about, you know, different spirit animals and, and what we can take from them. Yes, absolutely. I identify a lot with animals. So these, these type of archetypes especially resonate for me. So, um, and yeah, the masculine, the feminine lies in, in each of them too. So, uh, whatever resonates with us. Yeah. <laughs> whatever works. Right? Yeah, totally. And I had heard you talk about the raven and the nightingale, but I hadn't heard you talk about the, uh, the falcon or the owl. And I also love those two birds. So that's really, that was really special treat that I didn't know I was going to get today. Thank you so much for that. So this has just been absolutely extraordinary. I, you've given so much wisdom and so much of your time. So I just, I want to be really mindful of that. Where can women come to find you if they want to learn more and go further with your work? Well, they can contact me through my website. There's a contact form there, and that's afeminefeast.com. And I live in San Francisco. My women's circles are local, so I, I have not yet put it out on a broader scale except through the Shift Network. So right now they're local in San Francisco Bay Area, but they are certainly, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation with them. I also teach women how to facilitate women's circles. So, um, Oh, that's incredible. So anyone who's listening who might think that this is something that they could bring to their group of women, you could help guide them in creating these circles for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And we can do that, you know, through this private coaching or through a mentorship program or whatever, whatever works for them. So, yeah. You're such a treasure. What else are you looking forward to that you could tell us about? Well, I'm really looking forward to, I mean, it, it's interesting. Most of my mentorship clients this year are women uh, older than me. They're in their 70s. And these are kick-ass women. They are um, two, two types. They're women who are wanting to mentor, mentor other women who are like in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And, and, and to show them what's possible, right, in their later years, and to show that age doesn't matter, that they can do anything. And so I'm really looking forward to that particular demographic, to, to, to supporting them, to helping them empower others. I mean, it, this is a year, for 2020, for us to really reclaim what is our gorgeous planet's purpose in life, which is to, to birth other beings such as you and and the women listening to your podcast to, to really be in who they were meant to be and, and to really show it and to, and to heal the planet. And um, I'm excited for 2020 to be that year to do that. And so um, I'm doing that with the, the women's circles, my local women's circles, um, and the uh, mentorships and uh, just sharing my passion with you and uh, doing more and more of these type of interviews and, uh, and I'm looking to uh, write a book on the various gateways that I've just described to you to make it easier for women to access. Um, so, yeah. 
Beautiful. Well, I'm so excited for all of these things. You are amazing. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity. When I come out to San Francisco, I definitely want to come play with you in one of your circles. So I'll definitely reach out to you about that. And this has been so great. Thank you so much, Sabrina. This has been wonderful. You're wonderful. Oh, thank you, Jordana. This has been such a pleasure. And it, it just lit me up just talking with you and your questions are great. Your wisdom is powerful and your, your vision is really beautiful and heartfelt. So thank you. Thank you, Sabrina. That means a lot to me coming from you. Really, truly. Thank you. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a class on the number one thing you can do to end your loneliness if you're single, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, a guidebook on finding your lesbian soulmate, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of these things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. (laughs) 